Not the sound booth, that was me. Yeah, so we did move here from Colorado 10 months ago, and people always ask why, and that's a whole other story, so we'll, we'll share that some other time. Before that, um, we lived, Don and I served in Latvia with a youth ministry organization called Josiah Venture. And I can remember a few months after we were there, one of the, the young pastors or young youth leaders we were working with was getting married. And we were asked by another acquaintance if we would share something at his wedding. Now, I had never been to a Latvian wedding before. And if somebody asked you if you would share something at their wedding, do you think in the context of like a toast at the reception, a few words? So I'm prepared for that. I figured out what I was going to say, and we showed up at the wedding. And the first thing we learned is weddings start early in the day and go until past midnight. And during the course of the day, I'm talking with, with the people, and we're having dinner, and I just touched base with the guy who asked me to share. His name was Rymons. And I said, okay, so we're set for this, and, you know, um, it's just going to be like a couple minutes. Could we do it now so we can leave early? And he goes, no, 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 not a couple minutes. We, we want this to be like a message, like a 20 or 30-minute sermon. And here I am in this foreign culture, and I'm expected to give this message at this reception, and I have no idea what I'm going to say. Fortunately, they're all Latvian and speak Latvian, and I don't speak Latvian at all at that point. And he appoints a young man named Edgars to be my translator, and so we get up there, and fortunately, I had a translator because I could think of like a sentence at a time, and then I could wait for him to translate. And I figured out what he was going to say next. And I made it through there. I had, God just gave me something to say, but I needed those pauses. So if I pause awkwardly, <laughs> it's because I'm used to the benefit of a translator, okay? And I'm trying to collect my thoughts. Um, let me pray before we get started here. Father, we do thank you for um, this day we get to come together. We thank you, Lord, um, for being our Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, for our earthly fathers. And Lord, we just pray that as we, uh, as we spend this time together that uh, you speak to us and you communicate your love and your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So once again, happy Father's Day this week. I, I researched... Father's Day. Actually, I should say I googled Father's Day to learn a little bit about it. And I learned that it's, it dates back to 1910. I kind of want to know the origin of Father's Day. Um, and it was conceived of by a young woman named Sarah Dodd up in Tacoma, Washington in about 1910. And it was to honor her father, who was a single father of six, a Civil War veteran. So he must have been quite old at the time. I'm glad he got this honor at that point of his life, he was still living. Um, I was curious, though, and I also Googled, like, Hallmark cards. And it turns out they were founded in Chicago the same year, 1910. Now, they say that every Father's Day, they distribute about 72 million Father's Day cards. So I think this 
probably was one of the most brilliant marketing schemes in all of history. Um, so hope you got a Father's Day card. If you didn't, I hope you get plenty of wishes. Um, hope you wished all of your fathers a happy Father's Day, if they're with us still. Um, I'm a dad of three sons, and so I am definitely in full support of this holiday where we have, you know, centered around bacon and grills and all things dadly. Um, to do fun things together. Um, it isn't always being a dad, and so I'm very appreciative of a day that I get recognized by my kids. I've already gotten texts this morning. They're, none of them are here, but uh, they always remember. But it's not easy, and it's been said that, that being a great father is like shaving. No matter how good you shave today, you have to shave, be ready to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> so it's not always hard I mean, it's not always easy, it's fun, but it's difficult, like keeping your refrigerator stocked with food for three teenage boys, or teaching three teenagers how to drive in the span of like five years. Um, that's why I've got color hair that I do. Um, Donna also said, she always remarked that uh, we have three sons, but she used to say that uh, she was raising three boys. Um, and I am a youth pastor, and I think that it was because I really wanted to not ever really grow up, and it gave me a chance to just indulge my adolescence as an adult. And she made a rule one time that if there was any rudeness at the dinner table, that whoever was responsible had to go sit with the dog and eat their dinner in the laundry room. And I, I had to do that once. <laughs> But it is challenging being a dad. Um, it's even daunting. I mean, fathers have a huge impact on our kids. Um, I read an article from Psychology Today. It's a recent article, like 2021, but it said a couple points about that I wanted to bring out today. It says, fathers play an important role in a child's development and can affect a child's social competence, performance in school, and emotion regulation. It said children with sensitive and supportive fathers have higher levels of social competence and better peer relationships. Children whose fathers provide them with learning materials and speak with them frequently perform better in school and have a more advanced language skills. I also found some other statistics from an article called The Fatherless Generation, um, and it says that 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. Ninety percent of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. Thirty-two times the average. Eighty-five percent of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. Twenty times the average. Children with fathers who are involved are 70 percent less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's in school. Seventy-five percent Adolescent parents in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes, 10 times the average. Um, it's, it's obvious that we have a, a huge impact on our kids. And it's not to say that mothers don't have an impact as well. They do. It's, I think God in his in his infinite wisdom designed mothers and fathers to complement each other, and together we can parent our child the best. 
for some reason in our cultures, in our world, we see less, less, engaged, less unengaged fathers than we see unengaged moms. And this isn't also to imply that a great father, even a perfect dad, guarantees perfectly balanced and developed adults. Um, and for evidence for that, all we need to do is look at the very beginning in Genesis 3, where God set up Adam and Eve in the garden with everything they needed. They had a close relationship with them. He walked in the garden. He gave them names. He gave them their identity. He gave them work to do. He provided all of their needs, and they rebelled. Um, They had the only perfect father in the universe, and they rebelled. So don't carry a burden, unnecessary burden, if things don't turn out like we hope or not turning out like we hope. The one thing God has not finished yet, the second thing is, Everybody chooses their own way and goes the direction, and we live in a fallen world. Um, the Bible's been referred to many times as life's instruction manual. I suppose it is, but I think it's kind of a reductionistic way to look at it, because you know, the Bible is more than a instruction manual. It's the Word of God. It speaks to us. It's living. It, it cuts into truth. It brings us God's words in fresh ways all the time. I don't know if you've ever been reading the Bible and, and had a verse pop out at you in a new way that you've never seen before, and that's God using his word to actually speak and act through it with us. And the Bible doesn't give, even though it's a great instruction manual, um, it, <coughs> excuse me, I should have warned you to cue the, mute that, um, But even though it's a great instruction made in a lot of ways, it doesn't give a lot of explicit instruction on being a dad. I mean, there's some things. I mean, Paul talks about some different things. Among them, don't provoke your children to anger. Um, Proverbs tells us to discipline our children, raise them up in the way of the Lord, and they'll follow. But there's really, if you look at the whole of the Bible, there's not, not a lot of explicit information Um about fathering. Examples of earthly fathers in the Bible are many, but, you know, a lot of them aren't stellar. <laughs> Most of them aren't stellar. You see people who have a trouble with drinking a bit too much. Um, fathers who raise dysfunctional families, who play favorites with their kids, who offer their daughters in un- understandable ways. Um, and so we, we don't see tons of great examples of fathers in the Bible, except for Father God. Um, we do get a lot of instruction, especially like in Paul's letters and in Proverbs, about relationships in general, about love, patience, conduct, and speech, things that are directed to all of us and are absolutely critical in our roles as parents, but as moms and dads, as brothers and sisters, as friends, as employees, as leaders, as part of the human race in general. But not a lot about being a father explicitly. And we don't know much about Joseph, um, Jesus' stepdad, I guess you'd call him, um, except that he was a man of honor. He obeyed God. He had concern for Jesus as a child. 
I started to write attentive. I'm not sure where that came from. And then I remembered that they left him in Jerusalem when the family was traveling. You ever forgotten your child in a foreign city? I have forgotten to pick up my son at school more than once. <laughs> it's being real. Um, we can look at Jesus, who's our greatest example for anything. Um, and how he interacted with people, especially with his disciples. Um, he prayed a lot. He prayed for his disciples. He spent time with his father for wisdom and prayer, how to interact with them. In my experience, moms are generally better about praying for kids than dads. I know that's a generalization, so don't, don't attack me if you're a prayer warrior dad. Um, but we should be praying for our kids a lot, like Jesus prayed. We see that he taught and equipped them. You know, he, they, they learned from him. They called him rabbi because the custom of the day and the culture was when you, when you have a rabbi and they accept you into their, their tutelage, you, you sit with them and you work with them for 24 hours a day and you learn from them. Um, he equipped them. He, he started easy, like helping them distribute food up until the point that then he sent 12 of them off to be missionaries and to preach in villages. And then... He further equipped them by taking a team of 72. So he equipped them as leaders and more missionaries. So we see this progression of teaching that happened with Jesus and his disciples. Um, he expressed love and affection. He calls disciples his friends. Um, and he gave them a place of belonging. Um, he showed concern for others. We can see that all through his life. He spoke, he spoke words of affirmation to his disciples. I mean, he took Simon and changed his name to Peter, which means the rock. And he said that this is the rock I'm going to build my church on. And so he expressed affirmation. Nathaniel, when he approached him, he said, no, there is a man of honesty, a man of truthfulness. Those are words of affirmation. Similarly, we can give those to people we're in relationship with, especially our kids. He spent extended time with them. You know, Jesus was in preparation for his ministry for 30 years, and it finally began. And the first thing he did is he invited the disciples, a couple of new ones, over to, to, to see him where he lived. And then, and then he took them on a, basically a road trip and went to a wedding and spent a week with them at this wedding celebration. That's a lot longer than a Latvian wedding. Um, but he spent that extended time with them. He was in their homes. Um, lesson for us about spending extended time with people who are special to us. He entrusted them and gave them responsibility. And we could go on. We could talk about the life of Jesus. I think that could be a year-long preaching sermon. Um, but it's clear that uh, he is our best example. You know, in, in Matthew 3.17, we could have that next slide there. Um, we hear what God the Father says about Jesus very, very publicly. Um, and we can take some lessons from the greatest father of the universe um, about being a parent and what sort of some things every one of us needs to hear and believe, especially our children. Um, I don't know why, but these things take on an added significance when spoken by a father to his kids. Now, this was spoken to him when... He appears in the, on the Jordan River with John the Baptist to be baptized. And we haven't, we haven't seen Jesus. We don't, we don't know much about 
those 30 years except that he grew in stature and in wisdom and got left behind in Jerusalem. Um, and all of a sudden, his ministry is to begin. So he's got 30 years of preparation. Um, and he steps forward. So people around don't know who he is. They don't know him. John providentially knows who he is. It was his cousin. And I think God was speaking to him because he knew he called him the Lamb of God. And he baptized him. And as he, as he baptized him and he came up out of the water, this thunderous voice came. I mean, I would, I would love to hear what that sounds like. Um, you know, you've all been to movies where you hear sound effects. I mean, this has to be way beyond anything we've ever heard in the greatest movie theater we've been in. But God says, the voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. These are important things. And these are, there's three gifts represented in here that, that I want to talk about today that God gave to Jesus that we as dads, as parents, as people of influence in anybody's life can extend to them. And the first one we'll see in the next slide is identity. He said, this is my son. And very unmistakably, the Father God claims Jesus as his own. Um, we look at the life of Jesus, it's, I think it's easy to see how a secure identity as God's son plays out in his life. Because shortly after this announcement by God, Jesus enters the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Each time he was tempted, he stood strong. Never once did he give in. In every case, he stood firm in who he was, and not and he resisted. When he was later bullied by the authorities, by the religious leaders, um, he never wavered. He stood firm. He even claimed he was acting at his father's request. Um, when he had a strong sense of when he had a strong sense of identity, a sense of family, a sense of belonging, it produces in us, because I can rest in who I am and I don't feel I need to earn a place of belonging, the same way we saw Jesus in those situations which were very stressful, which threatened who he was, what he was doing, he could stand firm knowing that he was God's son and was loved by the Father. When we lose or are never given a strong sense of identity, we become people pleasers. Or we, we search for confirmation by others. Um, that search can, can take us down some very destructive paths, including seeking a place in inappropriate places or seeking identity in ways that definitely are not right for us. Um, even obsessive behavior towards achievement or bowing to peer pressure. The, the problem is all those things that we chase after to gain our identity become like false summits. And I don't know about you, but I, I love to hike. And this is one of the reasons we want to move to Arnold is I love to hike. And I've been on plenty of hikes. Maybe you have too. And you, maybe you know what a false summit is, but you're, you're headed uphill for a long ways and you, you can see ahead the horizon, the trees resting on the horizon, and you think, 
that's my destination. That's the bridge I'm going for. The lake is right there. You get up there and there's another one. And so you climb that one. And this, this can actually kind of be kind of this frustrating for people in your hiking party, I'm here to tell you. When you say we're almost there and you're not. And then there's another one. But that's, that's the nature of, of chasing after our identity in the wrong places it, is we never arrive. We never get there. We never get something that really is our identity. We may fool ourselves into thinking it is, but it's not. Um, so we look at ways, how, how can we give identity? I remember I took kids, I was a youth pastor in Colorado before we lived in Latvia, and we would go down to Denver and we would serve at this ministry that, that worked with homeless people. And one of the things they told us was, ask their name and use their name because it gives a sense of value. Um, it gives a sense of worth. And so as we look at kids, as we look at our children, as we look at friends, call them not just by their name. I mean, we, we gave them their name. They know what their name is. But, but they're our son. They're our daughter. They're our friend. They're our, they're our sweetheart. They're our lover. Um, we want to give them the, the, the names that give them the identity into who they are. Um, it matters how we refer to our kids, introduce or, or speak about our kids to other people or in public. They hear these things and it comes back to them. Um, they can get identity from family traditions. They get, just like the disciples, they get identity from extended time and talking over and above what we give to others um, in our lives. The people that are special to us, we want to raise that bar of what we're giving them, right? We want to raise that level of commitment to the people that are really super important to us and that we have influence over. So we ask our question, are those around us confident in who they are to us? Um, our son, our daughter, our husband, our wife, our friend. I mean, we don't want to let them wonder and search for that identity on their own. Let's communicate to them. The next slide, we see the next gift that Jesus received from the Father, and that's love, because he said, whom I love. The Father expresses his love for everyone to hear. Remember, they didn't know who Jesus was. Um, this was all pretty new to them. I mean, they they were Jewish. They knew the scriptures. The Messiah was coming, but they didn't know it was him. And here the voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. Don't you long to hear I love you from the people that are important to you? Even if you hear it frequently and regularly, don't you always just still want to hear it over and over again? I mean, it's important. And, and experts tell us that, that people who are deprived of, of affection and expressions of love are prone to depression, feelings of worthlessness, anxiety, anger. I mean, it's an entire host of, of negative and obstructive emotions. Another quote from an article. It says, lack of affection causes a person to react or overreact to things. It causes them to look for that certain attention from things they probably shouldn't. For example, a girl that does not have her father in her life and doesn't receive attention from her mother will go to someone or something else that will give her what she desires. Every one of us desires to be loved, and being loved is not enough. 
We need to feel it. We need to hear it. We need to, we need to know it isn't conditional love. We need to know that, that not that I'm loved if I do this or if I do that or if I act a certain way. We need to know we're loved, period. And that's what we need to be communicating and understanding and believing no matter what stage of life we are, but especially as our kids in these, in these really formative years. I'm convinced that Jesus, through his life, a life full of challenges and threats and, and betrayals, even pouring himself out for others, um, what sustained him was his Father's love. Our lives need to be a generous outpouring of love. Expressed through words, deeds, and affection. We're wired for relationship, and at the core of every relationship is love. Um, we long to be loved just as we long to love others. We show others we love them through our actions, but that isn't enough. It needs to be communicated um, with word. It needs to be communicated in their love language. Words of affirmation, physical touch, um, extended time, whatever it is that we learn about somebody, how they really receive love the best, we need to be exercising that and communicating that to them. And then we see pleasure. Um, with him, I am well pleased. How long is the list of people that you love? And how long is the list of people that you like? Is one longer than the other? Um, Sometimes it's harder to like people than it is to love them. I mean, there's a comedian, if you guys remember Mark Lowry, he's a Christian comedian from a few decades ago, I think. But he used to say, you know, I love my relatives, I love my family. He says, I'll, I'll go to their funeral. I just don't want to spend Thanksgiving with them. <laughs> um, but that, this, this really comes to light in terms of family, even our immediate family. I mean, sometimes our kids don't act very likable. Sometimes I don't act very likable. And sometimes, honestly, you don't act all that likable. But we can't let that permeate our relationship and let them feel that because that then translates in their hearts and their minds into a lack of love. They don't like me. How can they love me? Um, we love them because we have some sort of mysterious bond. We're supposed to love them, but we don't always like them. Um, my kids growing up, I'm sure they felt times that I struggled with that. Um, and it might have made them feel unloved. And I think this is perhaps the toughest area of relationships, which means we should be bringing it to God in prayer constantly. Um, pray that God reveal to us the beauty and the joy of his created ones, of our kids, of our spouses, of our friends, of all the people we come across. God, they are, they are God's image. They are beautiful. And we need to be reminded of that by the Father so that we express love and like them. Um, Pray that God um, would help us to say, I'm proud of you, because that communicates pleasure and joy in your relationship. And being proud of somebody 
can't be tied to their accomplishment all the time. I mean, if somebody brings home a good report card or gets a promotion at work, we say we're proud of them, and we are. But we need to be proud of them for who they are, proud of them for the person that they are, that God created them to be, um, the way we see them forming. We need to be able to communicate that. Um, point out to others what it is you like about them, create shared experiences where you have fun, um, simply enjoy each other. Time is a huge communicator here. We, we don't devote time willingly to things and people that we don't like. So devoting time to people communicates your love and affection towards them. So we see identity, love, and pleasure. Um, that's our example. That's easy, right? Um, we fail, and we have failed, and we've been let down in these areas by earthly fathers and mothers. What what do we do then? Do we muddle through life, trying to establish our own identity, our own self-worth? Do we curl up and die because we haven't received these things? Um, go through minute motions of feeling unloved and abandoned? Um, fortunately, the answer is no because we have really, really good news. The next slide is a passage out of Romans, and it talks about the absolute fatherhood of God. Um, it's Romans 8, 14 through 17, and it says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That means all of us who claim to be followers of Christ. We are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about the adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You could translate this by saying that when we trust Christ, God's Spirit whispers in our heart that He's our Daddy. He's our Father. We're adopted by the greatest Father in the universe. That is an incredible element of the Gospel. And it's all too easy to have kind of a, a limited perspective of the Gospel that, that forgets that. We think about how that we're justified before God, that now we have a right relationship with God that we have assurance that we'll be with him in eternity. And those are all true and wonderful aspects of the gospel, but the complete gospel also includes the fact that he is our father and he's adopted us as his children. And the same things that he communicated to Jesus, he says, my children that I love and that I'm pleased with. He would pay the ultimate sacrifice so that he could spend eternity with us because he enjoys us. He wants our company. He created us. He wants us with him. We could go on about all the aspects of the gospel, um, but today on Father's Day, I think this probably pops out as my favorite because he's given me identity as his child. I will never need to live in fear that that will be taken away from me. 
Um, he does this willingly because he loved me. He paid the ultimate cost. He did this so that he could have the pleasure of you and me forever. Um, I think it's an awesome thing. There's somebody I know. I'm going to look at the next slide. His name is Rymons. And I think of Rymons as a great example of somebody who has been fathered by God. Rymons is Latvian, you can probably tell by the name, and his beautiful wife, Martha, and they now have three little kids. Rymons was raised in a small village on the eastern side of Latvia, where it's heavily Russian influence. Latvia's multi-ethnicities, Russian and Latvian. He was raised in the Russian sides where being a Latvian, he wasn't, didn't have the highest level in the, the society order. He was also raised in a single-parent home. He had a mother who struggled with a lot of things, substance abuse, different things in her life, putting food on the table. Um, he had two siblings, so there's three kids. There's three different dads involved. Raimonds never knew, never knows today, who his father is. Never met him, never he didn't know who he was. He grew up without a dad. Fortunately, there was a really small Baptist church in the community, about 30 people or so last time we were there. The pastor there had a heart for kids and had Sunday school and shared Christ and Ramos became a believer. In the, the, the culture and the educational system there, it's, it's very shame-oriented. It's normal for teachers to point out your failures in front of others. And he, he related one story how she sat down near the end of the, the high school era. It's not high school there, but the high school age. She sat them down in class and pointed them out and called them by name and said, you, you can go anywhere you want. You can do this. You can, you can be a doctor looked at Raimond and said, Raimond, you will never do anything. Raimond's right. um, had been fathered by God. He traveled to Riga, the capital city, enrolled in college, um, graduated, married Martha, a wonderful Christian woman, had three kids, and the evidence of him being a Devoted, loving father and a devoted, loving husband is evidence that God had his hand on him and he was receptive to what God wanted to give him as his father. Raimonds proved that teacher dead wrong because he was fathered by God. He allowed himself to be fathered by God. And this is the gospel. You've been adopted as God's very own. You are loved perfectly um, by your Heavenly Father. All the deficiencies, all the inadequacies of, of earthly parents, relationships are filled in by the love of the Heavenly Father. We can go forward no matter what we're lacking, no matter what we had or didn't have, knowing that we have it all now. We have that perfect love. And, and knowing that we are going to fail um, to some degree because we're human, um, 
the best gift we can give our children as Christ followers or anyone around us really is, is the example of someone who pursues their heavenly father. An example of someone that is receptive and filled by the father's love. Um, my dad um, was a strong follower of Jesus. Um, he wasn't necessarily perfect, but my favorite memory of dad was coming out um, in the morning and seeing my dad at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and his Bible open, just spending time with Jesus um, because he really loved the Lord. And uh, that stuck with me, and I really saw that in my dad. He was receptive. He lost his dad at a young age as well, as a teenager. Um, there is, um, there is a, a tough part of Father's Day. If we can go to the next slide there. Um, there's, this is an article that published this week in the New York Times. The headline was, Father's Day can be hard. Here's how to handle a holiday. Because the truth is that not everybody, even in this room, nobody in this room had the perfect dad. Some of us have wounds and scars from the way that we were brought up by our dad. Um, The subtitle of this was for people grieving a loss or facing thoughts about what could have been or what may never be. There are ways to find solace. So, people have let us down. Um, They've caused wounds that sometimes are very deep. We have scars from words or lack of words. And this may not just be from our dads. This may be from anybody that was significant to us in our life. Um, Words that made us feel unloved, unlovely, ignored, unimportant. The list goes on. And they go super deep when they're caused by the one, the Father, the one person that's supposed to care and protect us through our life, to help us form as humans. Um, In reality, these can be caused by anyone, though, Um, people who fail us, and they come out in our lives in many ways. Um, Forgiveness is difficult when we have have an open wound. Wounds are painful and cause anger and and frustration. These, These can impede not only our relationship with other people, um, especially the offender, but also our relationship with God. My dad, I look back at my childhood and I, I, I believe I had a great childhood and I had a wonderful dad and I think I even idolized him much. But in my adult years, through, through some prayer and through some searching, I've, I've discovered some things that I wish dad had done different that have caused maybe some deficiencies in my life, the way I raised my own family. Um, so what do, I, what do I do with that? What do I do with, with problems, that hurt that I've had from other people? Or, or even, even with, with the way I can look and think I've failed my own kids. What do I do with those things? And again, let's go to the gospel. This time, the next slide, we're going to go back 700 years to read a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. And this is in Isaiah 53. And I remember I had a pastor that Don and I, um, we attended that church for many years. 
And he was a wonderful man, and he loved this chapter in Isaiah, and he would say this is the most important chapter in the entire Bible. It is pivotal because it talks about how everything is going to be redeemed, the one that was to come to save us, die for our sins. And I had read that many, many times. A lot of times you read it preparation for Christmas. You read about the coming of Jesus. And I always focused in on how he died for our iniquities, how he died for our sins, so that we don't have to bear those anymore. And I was talking, I'd, I'd been at a conference, our mission organization in Czech Republic, and I was sitting talking with another missionary, a young guy that was part of our team. I was his leader. And there were some things in, in I forget now if it was in his or his wife's life, some father scars, father wounds, that, that they just couldn't seem to get past, that were causing issues in their marriage. And, and as we're talking, and we turn to this book in Isaiah through God's leading, and this chapter in Isaiah, and we read this, and I saw it for the, like the first time ever. And it says, Surely who took up our pain and bore our suffering. And this isn't just talking about the penalty for our sins, the suffering that would come from that. He did bear those things. He paid that penalty. But he also paid the, for the pain and bore our suffering for everything that's induced into our world by our sin nature, whether it's our fathers, our mothers, our own lives, the things that go wrong, the things that cause us hurt, the betrayals, the, the lack of love, the words that hurt. Jesus bore those on the cross for us so that we do not have to carry them. Um, we look at that, we see a huge opportunity. Again, it's like, it's like receiving the fathership of God. Are we receiving this gift that Jesus gave us to take away those burdens? And those those hurts in our life. Um, so, I mentioned I love to hike, and my dad and a great friend of mine, who actually just passed away last year, the three of us had this favorite place that was like a it was our elk camp where we went every elk season, and it was in a wilderness area, and we would bring camp in on horses. I mean, this is a great romantic picture, right? Um, and we loved that spot. And after my dad died, shortly within the next year or two, there was a huge freak windstorm in that area, and it, woke out, woke, it wiped out about 100,000 acres of forest, just toppled trees, huge trees. And after that, there was a fire. And so it had a totally different geography. But we were convinced we wanted to go find our camp. And so we drove to the trailhead, and we packed up our backpacks with everything we needed, hiked up there and climbed over logs and hiked all day and could never find it and just there was nobody in the place to lay down. So we just hiked back to the trailhead. And as I took my backpack off, I realized, you know, I had, I had food in there, I had a stove in there, I had water, I had a sleeping bag, I had a tent, I had everything I needed for the night. And I carried it all the way up there. It made the journey really difficult and I didn't need it. And I think that's an analogy for how we hang on to things in our life that cause us pain. Jesus has paid the price for those things. 
He has given us freedom from those things if we would trust him to take those from us. We don't have to carry those burdens. We don't have to take them anymore and be bogged down by them because um, he has paid the price. We have, we may have a great earthly dad, but he hasn't been perfect. Um, we may have had a disengaged dad, a dad who abandoned us, or somewhere in between, but today as a follower of Jesus, we've been adopted as his child. We're perfectly fathered by Abba, Abba, not the singing group, by Abba, Daddy, who's capable of meeting every need and healing every wound and loves and delights in us beyond our understanding.